When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Donut Racing Show, everybody, where we bring a backyard viewing of Shrek 2 mindset to the Con Film Festival obsessed podium of Formula One racing. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. If this is uh, your, not your first time, welcome back. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, my favorite auto journalists and authors of Racing with Rich Energy, Elizabeth Blackstock. Hello, how's it going? I'm great. And Alanis King. Hi. Hello. This week, we are talking about the weirdest public relations stuff we've seen out of the Formula One paddock. But first, how are we doing? I've only been awake for like 90 minutes. So <laughs> how it's has going, it been? It's Tell fine. me about it. I, I ate yogurt. I watched some YouTube videos. This is me at my baseline right now. Okay, I'm yes. into it. Elizabeth, how has your day been? My day, well, last night, I was cooking ahead for Grand Prix Gastronomy uh, for Austria. And there are so many foods from Austria that I was like, well, I can't not cook it. So I made... 105,000 things and started cooking at approximately 9 a.m. and did not really finish until like 8 o'clock at night. But it was great. Wow. It was worth it. It was delicious. Go subscribe so you're ready. Alanis, what did you get up to? How was your day? Okay, so I'm having the, the wildest day ever. I opened Instagram and I clicked an Instagram story from Dale Earnhardt Jr. And it was an Instagram reel that he had shared about playing on the touch tunes at the bar. And you'll never believe what band he apparently prefers playing on touch tunes at the bar. Phoenix. No, no, oh. you're not even close, Nolan. Oh. Hawthorne Heights. No! Oh. Dale Jr. Hawthorne Heights? Like a C song was Ohio is for Lovers? Are you kidding me? It makes me want to go buy some skinny jeans, take a pair of scissors to my bangs, get a nice diagonal cut going, get my mom's flat iron mm. out of the cupboard there. Me too. I listen to this song like once a week at least, and Dale Jr. is a fan of this. Incredible stuff. So that is how my day is going so far. Good day. Lovely. Before we get into all that weird press relations stuff that we talked about before, let's get a little background going. 
The desire for relatable, fun, or just like plain old entertaining content about motorsport didn't actually really kick off until the 70s. Um, at that point, there were some really compelling championship battles and really big personalities like James Hunt. Uh, and that inspired people to look at F1 in a new light. And it also made people actually want to tune in for a regular full-length race broadcast on TV. So at that point, you're, you're beginning to realize that there's a marketing potential for the personalities of your drivers. At that time, that's when you got people like Hunt heading out and joining talk shows to do things like play the trumpet in order to show that he was a fun, cool dude outside of racing. Uh, I'm sure everyone already knows everything about James Hunt and the like myth that a lot of boring white men have made about him, but he was actually a pretty <laughs> a pretty sweet dude. Uh, and as a side note, until the like video got involved, some of the F1 content in the world was this like super heavy-handed prosaic writing that made the drivers out to be gladiators, and it gave them this like gravitas that wasn't actually in line with the way these guys were. I have so many old books from that era of the 60s and 50s where it's like they just wax poetic about these guys and. Like, you're talking about Bruce McLaren, who was, like, pulling pranks and, like, shooting cannons off in his workshop. I'm sure he was totally serious all the time. I think you make a good point when you talk about James Hunt, because a very common theme that Internet's trolls use is, look at Lewis Hamilton and look at James Hunt, and they kind of portray Lewis as weak and feminine, and James Hunt was, like, the guy, the man, so macho. When in reality, he was just like, he was a dude. You, you, you're you talking know? about James Hunt with his booty shorts and his crop top t-shirts. Like, for real. We're talking about drivers from the 1970s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't think there was, you don't think there wasn't some experimentation going on <laughs> in the 70s, bro? Like, like this was a, he was a huge real. activist. He was anti-apartheid. He was willing to join the strikes that F1 drivers were having. He was willing to call out nonsense on the broadcast. This is not the dude you think he was. It's like people who are like, I love Rage Against the Machine. And it's like, have you ever listened to Rage Against the Machine? Yeah. Wait, you mean they hate fascists? What? <laughs> the machine is my mom, dude. <laughs> it wasn't until the advent of social media that we saw a truly cohesive push towards these ultra fun promo videos and press events. You know, you got to get those likes. Got to get that engagement. And Red Bull was one of the biggest catalysts for these things and was putting out some really cool content, even in the face of F1's restrictive social media regulations. Red Bull officially joined the F1 grid in 2005, but the brand's foothold in sport was already really, really firm. This is the company known for setting world records with snowmobile jumping and letting a skydiver jump to Earth from the stratosphere and getting a motorcycle rider to make a 10-story jump. We've also seen plenty of Red Bull F1 street takeovers where the team brings the car out to a city street somewhere to do burnouts for fans. When I was getting into racing myself, it really was Red Bull's behind-the-scenes content with its drivers that gave me an inroad to getting really into F1. Like, back in 2014... There really wasn't a lot of content out there that you could engage mm -mm. in. Um, there wasn't much of anything. You had some videos of Fernando Alonso like cracking a walnut with his neck and like the videos of Kimi Raikkonen saying some like ultra Kimi Raikkonen blunt phrase. Uh, but it was like the, it was the Red Bull stuff and the Toro Rosso stuff uh, that actually showed the personalities behind the visor. So like you could see Daniel Ricciardo and Jean-Eric Verne geeking out and painting sneakers together. 
there was this whole video that I no longer can find, which is a real tragedy, uh, of them doing like acrobatic stunts with a hoop or something. Uh, and they were like, they were filming each other and that was part of the bit. There were even like blooper reels after filming, which was kind of an unheard of concept. That was the fun stuff. That was the stuff that got me interested. And there was so much stuff that Red Bull did for fans as well, directly getting them involved. Like I've personally won at least two Red Bull contests in order to meet the drivers because they put these things on to like these press events where you could just like go hang out with someone. So uh, yeah, I, I got real into those. But it, it was pretty much like Red Bull, the driving force of these things. <coughs> and while other teams did do some similar promos, most of them were pretty tame, okay? You'd occasionally get a funny interview, like one where Sebastian Vettel pretty much exclusively talks about his hairstyles. Uh, yeah, because that's the first thing I think of with Sebastian Vettel's is hairstyles. Yeah. yeah. The guy had a bowl cut for like five years. <laughs> it's so true, he did. Uh, or even uh, the send-off from broadcaster ITV that featured the grid singing along to Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance back in 2008. I, <laughs> I could tell that Liz did a lot of the research for this episode. <laughs> I did only this bit. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a Liz bit right there. I know that came from your Tumblr for sure. <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> she actually used her Tumblr to research the first No, I didn't. I didn't. The problem I was having was that I used to have a Tumblr in high school that was like exclusively F1 based, but I deleted it when I started actually working because I didn't want people to see what I was like as a high schooler. So there's this like plethora of content out there that no longer exists, I think, because I was the one who had it. I was the curator of the F1 shenanigan content. Oh, and now here we are. Uh, I'm introducing everyone to Welcome to the Black Parade ITV send off. <laughs> I think listeners, you're very lucky that Liz is on the show being like one of the I would say like one of the OG like <laughs> F1 super fans. Super fans, I guess. F1 yes. emo kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a pretty pre honestly, yeah. it's a pretty prevalent lane to be in right now. And Liz was there at the beginning. And two, I'm very glad that I didn't have a Tumblr. Sometimes I feel like I missed out, but man, I'm glad that there's not an archive of my teenage thoughts. Yeah. Online. Yeah. What Elizabeth is to Formula One, her like teenage Formula One Tumblr obsession, that was me and NASCAR. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. we were on like similar but on different sides of the coin there. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I do know very, very, very well is a Scott Speed video. There was this liminal time where social media was just kind of starting to take hold. You could post videos and photos, but it wasn't that big of a deal. That's when you got things like Scott Speed's iconic milk and cereal video. Mm -hmm. So it's Scott Speed and Red Bull Jr. Colin Fleming doing a little dance with a box of Raisin Bran and a gallon of milk, and it's set to the song Milk and Cereal. It was incredible. It wasn't really a planned promo. It was just a moment where they were being really goofy, and they were using spoons as microphones. And I highly recommend, because Nolan is hearing this for the first time and making faces. We'll post all <laughs> these on our Twitter account, at Donut Racing Show, so you'll be able to see all these goodies. Gut reaction. <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> Very, very early YouTube. Yeah. Single camera setup, probably a camcorder. <laughs> it's in some kitchen somewhere. This is so bizarre. It has the same kind of feel of like a video 
that would have got 15 million views because it was the only thing to watch on YouTube at yes, that time. Yeah. <laughs> Except it happens to be Scott Speed and Colin Fleming singing about Raisin Bran. <laughs> I, love, I love when you scroll to the comments on that video and people are like, oh my God, no, that's Scott Speed. Like it came up on the algorithm and they just clicked it because it was funny. But then they realized yeah. who it was. <laughs> they realized it was This Scott is a comment. Speed. From a guy named Lucas Lubin. Dude, you got to be kidding me. This is from 14 years ago. That is so Scott Speed. That's absolutely something he'd do. And that's yep. definitely Colin Fleming, parentheses, also a Red Bull driver. This is classic. That's great. It's really stunning. Please, when we post it on our Twitter account, add it to your bookmarks. Use it when you're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this comment says, I shouldn't admit how cute you two are together, but you are adorable. <laughs> This sounds like some Tumblr me would say. <laughs> oh, wait, what's this? Wait, who's the commenter? Liz Blackstock? <laughs> it's her. <laughs> oh, no. That brings us to the modern era. In our very first episode of the season in February, all the way back then. Can you believe it's already June? It's disgusting. No. Good Lord. Uh, we talked about F1's long, weird, and complicated relationship with the modern internet. If you missed it and want to go back and listen, it's called How Social Media is Changing Formula One. Pretty good episode. What spurred that conversation was the rise in the commodification of F1 drivers. They're constantly posting thirst traps, Charles and Carlos, uh, <laughs> playing silly games with each other for content and giving us a look into their lives with easy personality-oriented Q&As. But as we talked about in this episode, F1 was not always like this. It's pretty recent, and it coincides with American company Liberty Media acquiring the sport for $4.4 billion in August 2016. It was like a $4.4 billion purchase price, I think, but like including all the debts and stuff, I think it was $8 billion. Yeah, Ooh. no. Yeah, two numbers, big numbers, lots of money there. Before Liberty Media... Bernie Ecclestone, who is now 92 years old, that dude is still saying stuff on the internet at 92 years old. He's sharp. He, uh, <laughs> that's a way to put it. Before Liberty Media, he ran the series, and under him, F1 had a terrible online presence. This was where the Tumblr fandom came in, because it was up to us. Because they were the only ones. We were the ones who were mining the interesting bits and finding the mm-hmm. things that mattered. We were the curators of content. Back before 2016, no one could post content from preseason testing. Lewis Hamilton got banned from using Snapchat in the paddock, personally, by Bernie Ecclestone. It was a whole thing. And the whole sport felt really cold and detached from the rest of us on the internet. Yeah, I remember around that time, uh, like when I was first uh, an intern for Donut, you know, trying to get F1 clips was very difficult. One, they're, they're still extremely protective of their broadcasts and all that stuff. It wasn't really a problem because there wasn't that much like actual footage out there that was mm-hmm. interesting. You know, it was like no. minute and a half long race highlight reels and stuff like that. Just very, very boring. So different than what we uh, have today. And uh, I mean, if you've already heard our, our previous episode, you're probably tired of me saying that. But I just want to reiterate. Then Liberty Media and Drive to Survive happened and everyone finally logged on to the Internet. 
Fans got a taste of driver personality through the Netflix show, and F1 started realizing that it can actually use those personalities as a marketing tool. Whoa! Who would have thought? Oh my what goodness. What a concept! It's not like we knew this in the 70s or anything. It's not like they made a whole film called Rush about two of the most important personalities in Formula One many decades ago. Drivers became more mainstream celebrities, and those in charge of their online presence started bringing them into the fold of pop culture and more feminine interests. And that's yeah. when we started getting more and more and more thirst traps and cute bits of online content. Uh, these online content bits aren't just sideshows these days. They're a huge hit with people. They get hundreds of thousands or sometimes even millions of views on YouTube and other video platforms. And they spark this deep relationship between fans and drivers and fans with each other because now they have something in common to discuss. I think this is a really important thing to note because I certainly didn't notice this as much until I got on TikTok. You can create relationships between your fans mm -hmm. in your own comment sections by weaving in regular threads and also just showing these people who you are. So when you look at these videos of F1 drivers on Instagram or YouTube or anywhere, People can take common jokes and common themes and they can joke with each other in the comments section, even if they don't know each other. So like TikTok, for example, has its own set of audios and trending phrases and stuff like that. And you will watch a video and one of those phrases will pop in your head and you'll open the comment section and everyone is saying that. And that's a huge marketing tool for creating your own kind of like self-populating marketing machine because people can continue to do your marketing for you mm -hmm. in comment sections and other threads that they start themselves. It's hugely important and you can do this by showcasing who the drivers are. That was so key in that era where we weren't actually getting any of this content. It, we were relying solely on like 14 second clips of a broadcast that were funny, but they would become memes. Another thing that's really interesting is you have those older quotes and newer ones. Mm -hmm. So I will sometimes tie this in when I post something online. So at the Spanish Grand Prix, Max Verstappen, his team was like, hey, stop going outside of the white line. Stop breaking track limits. And Max was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so when I posted a screenshot of this, I posted in as my caption, yeah, yeah, leave me alone. Ideally, sparking people to see the first half of the iconic Kimi Raikkonen quote, leave me alone, I know what I'm doing, and start making their own jokes in the comments. And that is exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project 
in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. One of the more personable things we've actually gotten from these required content sessions is a look into the relationship between Pierre Gasly and Yuki Sonoda, who are teammates at Alpha Tauri until Pierre moved to Alpine this year. We got to see them grow together and get a look at Pierre's role as a mentor with Yuki, and especially in Drive to Survive. We even got to see Yuki riding in a car with Pierre and farting, just like guys <laughs> being bros, which <laughs> I, that's something, it's like a very intimate thing, I think, that no one would have thought was interesting before, and then people latched onto it, and they wanted to do it. Everyone got so accustomed to seeing them as a pair that when Pierre left the team, it was kind of like watching your favorite celebrity couple break up. It really was. And one of my favorite bits of content that came from the Pierre and Yuki relationship was Kamui Kobayashi. This dude rocks. I love Kamui Kobayashi. He's also a racing driver. He yassifies people just randomly (laughs) and then posts photos of them online. (laughs) And so there's this photo of Yuki and Pierre on a boat and he yassified Pierre. He did a the gender swap on the Yassify app and then gave him like long hair and pretty makeup. And he tweets at Yuki and he says, Yuki, your new girlfriend is so pretty. And like half <laughs> of the people realized it was Pierre and half of them didn't. And I loved it. It's so cute. And it's really funny that other professional racing drivers who are very well known, Kamui Kobayashi is a big deal. He's in on it, too. Yuki and Pierre had all of these ridiculous moments and they're like required team content sessions. One of them was this video called Pierre and Yuki's language exchange. This is really common in F1 because you have drivers from all kinds of different countries who have all kinds of different first languages. You'll do a sit down session where you'll kind of learn each other's languages, but like in funny ways, this is very normal in F1. So Pierre taught Yuki some French and Yuki taught Pierre some Japanese. And then they quizzed each other on their knowledge of each other's languages. And when they asked each other how to say car, um, (laughs) Yuki guessed it was Lama in French (laughs) and Pierre guessed it was Honda in Japanese. That's really funny. And it was just like, this is ridiculous, honestly. Later in the video, they got asked how dogs barked in their languages. And like on first glance, you think that we're just asking how dogs bark, right? Like, and dogs bark the same, no matter where they're at. But they're talking about how do you mimic a dog barking in your language? So in English, we would just say woof, woof, right? That's how mm-hmm. we do it. That's how and I say it. Yeah. I say yeah. it all the time. You say woof, People woof, People ask right? me, hey, how does a dog bark? I say woof, woof. Woof, woof, exactly. There you go, Nolan. You got yeah. it. So- <laughs> Easy ass, dude. Easy ass. <laughs> so Yuki goes first and Yuki takes this definition of the question. Like, how do you in your language say 
a dog bark. And he goes, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> and Pierre is like, what? And Pierre starts having this laughing fit because it is honestly really funny to hear how someone portrays a dog bark in their language for the first time. I love it. And then it's Pierre's turn. And Pierre has not learned what the actual question is yet. So he thinks he's just supposed to bark. That's funny. So Pierre goes, oof, oof, oof. And he's like, he's like convulsing with his bark. And Yuki is like, that's the sound an old man makes when you punch him in the stomach. There's a another great notorious Yuki Pierre clip. Um, I love this one. It came from a time when Yuki was doing a skit with two mask drivers, like the Stig and Top Gear. And Yuki immediately goes, this is Pierre. I can smell it. And he was right. He knew Pierre by his scent alone, which is cute. Dang. It's so cute. Oh, my goodness. And we just got this look inside their relationship that I don't think we would have gotten nearly as well under the Bernie Ecclestone era of Formula One because there was just so much less of a focus on bringing fans in to this relationship between the drivers and who the drivers are. It's very cool to be able to see that in these modern eras. Mm Mm-hmm. Ferrari is also big on these social videos. They do a lot of games on YouTube, and they have a cute little check-in thing they do with Carlos and Charles on Instagram. Just about a month ago, F1 actually made our Ferrari boys do a whole game show for the F1 channel where they wore these blue goggles. It's called Goggle Games, if you want to look it up. The goggles turned everything upside down for the drivers, and then they had to play games with their sight lines totally inverted. Very strange. Very bizarre. Charles took photos of Carlos with the goggles on and told him, you look like a, f- <laughs> you look like a frog, mate. <laughs> While Carlos almost hit Charles in the head trying to catch tennis balls. Again, strange premise for a game that you'd make drivers do. It's like a field day for kindergartners, like the weird things you'd have kindergartners do, except it's grown adult men from Ferrari. It really is. It's like it's elementary (laughs) school auditorium assembly kind of thing. Yeah. We're like, wait, why did our school hire a man who has goggles that turn everything upside down? That counts as an assembly. (laughs) Did you guys have the yo-yo guy who came? Yes. yes. Oh my God. I was so obsessed with yo yos after what that. I was never with learned. That? Why did yo yos have such a no, moment? No, I remember this they had too. A and I was like, oh choke my God. Yo yo. school. My cousin was so good at it. And I was so upset that he could do things. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> I tried yeah, to yo yo one time and it was uh, it was not good. I just. We had say. the yo yo guy. Uh, we, of course, like the fire department came one time to let, to get, you know, like they put on all the fire gear to make the kids like mm. used to the fire gear. Very smart. But then I remember the best assembly of my entire life. I was, I think, second grade or something. This, like, I don't know where they're from, but whatever this group was, they brought robots with them, what? like a bunch of robots that did stuff. And it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. One of them was like a remote control robot, obviously, mm-hmm. but it, it, you could talk to it and there's someone on the other end, like talking back to the kids. That's cool. And uh, I have never felt a high like that since. <laughs> Ferrari, where? Where are you getting your robots? Please, we need the robots to be with Ferrari now. Oddly, like as an aside, they make these Ferrari drivers do things that like, I'm surprised they haven't gotten hurt yet and like pulled back on it because we saw recently Charles falls on his face yeah. and now they're wearing these goggles that invert their sight lines and they're like trying to hit each other with their arms like they're going to hurt each other. So 
they put on these goggles that invert their sight lines and they have them play some kind of tetherball tennis game. And they give them tiny little paddles and they're like, all right, hit the balls. And neither of them ever hit the ball. They just swung in the air and asked each other, where are you? In panicked voices. <laughs> like this is all they did <laughs> the whole time. After that, they played soccer and they each got a couple of tries to try to get the ball in the goal while the other defended. Neither of them knew where they were actually standing. I think at this point, the like upside downness is really setting in and they have no idea where they're at or what they're doing. So they just have people help them walk around. They have that they- same <laughs> feeling like when you're high, where you're like, I'm going to be this way forever. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, like this is where we're at now. They're having people help them walk. They don't know where they are. They can't find the ball. They're like, where's the ball? Where's the ball? We don't know. Carlos gave up immediately. So Charles does a little kick toward the goal. And then Carlos is like, yeah, the second one, screw it. He squats on the ground and faces the goal and just like makes his body as big as possible to block it. Like he doesn't try to like move to block it. He just squats and hopes that the ball hits him in the back. It was incredible. They were so helpless, both of them. And that made it funny. I think the best part of these is like you get to see an element of vulnerability that you usually don't. Like when you Mm -hmm. see the drivers getting into the cars and we even talked about this with the Miami pre race spectacle that they had, they don't want to be funny, silly and goofy. Like when you see them about to race, they're in their most serious, like business friendly mindset. And these things, these videos like show that they're actually a human being who has nuance and it's kind of like it's endearing to see them. It, it like be vulnerable and like do things that probably they wouldn't normally be doing and trusting each other and like I don't know I love these it makes they're so easy to just like binge watch no they are and like that's a really good point so when I was re-watching these for this script like you want to just keep cl- clicking them and keep watching them because one of the most interesting parts about life is just learning about other people, mm-hmm. especially other people you respect or you look up to or you're interested in. To learn more about those people is incredible. And that's exactly what these videos do. It's the same reason people like podcasts or they like watching YouTube videos or they like do like seeing unscripted things. You learn a lot about the people because you see them behaving casually and it feels like you're developing this friendship and relationship with them because they're not scripted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that they do these like the part of me that used to have to hunt for these things and like, you know, find a German stream and translate it and get a VPN like we can actually just enjoy (laughs) this normally now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We here at DRS actually have. A collective favorite video, I think. Uh, one of the great, great pieces of content that came from the Miami Grand Prix this year. Logan Sargent, our great American racer, our Florida man, had a studio session with GQ where they asked him to list and then do a show and tell with the 10 items he can't live without. It is 8 minutes and 11 seconds of riveting perplexion. We watched this a month ago. I don't <laughs> think any of us have uh, digested it yet. This is a pretty common thing. You see a lot of musicians and uh, other athletes do this. I think Alex Albon even did one of these last year. He did, yeah. Uh, and I can't remember else who else has done it. But, yeah, I mean, I I like watching this kind of stuff. I like seeing what famous people have. Maybe I have something in common with them. 
And it turns out I have a lot in common with Logan Sargent. With Logan let's, Sargent? Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, let's, you'll know. Let's list his items. First of all, you just have to watch this video because us telling you about this is not even the interesting part. Yeah. It's good stuff. Logan's items were his race helmet, an M&M oh, CD, yeah. Miami yes. Heat merchandise. Not Okay. Not just an M&M CD, but the 8 Mile soundtrack. Correct. So Miami Heat merchandise. Very practical choice in his passport. Lemonade. The, yes. the Wolf of Wall Street. He's he he's got the the hustler grind set, dude. Just like me. He just like me for real. He just like you for real. Yes. Uh, Logan also picked ice cream, hair gel, sunglasses, <laughs> Miami Dolphins merchandise, and his oh, signature yeah. winning move where he just like puts his arms out in a T like a human cross. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's it. I do want to bring attention that one of his items was his pose. His pose, yeah, it's a, like <laughs> it's not an item. That's not a thing. It's not a, It's <laughs> this thing I do. Uh, <laughs> I thought that, yeah, but you got to you got to watch it. I mean, it's, it's you do, so funny. It's really funny, and uh, yeah, Florida man. In order to try to be as funny as Logan Sargent, or maybe be serious, I don't know. I need to know what y'all's 10 items are. Nolan wanted to do five, and me and Elizabeth did 10. So, Nolan, you go ahead and do your five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always wanted to be on the, in one of these videos, so I, <laughs> I did kind of take it a little seriously. Okay, so, number one, my PS5. Love my PlayStation. Next up, my Patagonia jacket. It's not a full one? puffer. The blue it's, one? Yes, <laughs> yes, my blue one. It's not a full puffer. It's perfect for any kind of... It's great for like May or April. Every you know, time it's I like, see Nolan, he's wearing this jacket. It's, it's not too cold. It's perfect for when it's not too cold, but not too hot. You can wear it in any weather. I've worn it in Alabama at the racetrack. I've worn it camping. You know, it's great. Next up, my Nike Free Run 5.8 shoes. Okay? Uh, they're super comfortable. Again... That, you know, when they're clean, you can wear them with your jeans and stuff. But, like, they're also good for, you know, walking around in the wilderness places. Number four, my AirPods Pro. Uh, you know, <laughs> I go on flights sometimes. They're great for noise canceling. And also, you know, I love my music and my podcast. <laughs> and <laughs> number five. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. What is it? My Abercrombie jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan, okay, this, I think I think that was almost worse than Logan. Shop the fit, everyone. Shop the fit. <laughs> Shop the fit. I'm comfy, but I'm also connected. You know what I mean? <laughs> Honestly, after writing my list, I started like looking around my apartment. I was like, I don't need all the other stuff I have here. You just start cleaning it out. Just yeah. we're done. What if I also included like a Rubik's cube? I think that would be fine. <laughs> I would love that. I think that would be great. I like to keep my brain sharp. Yeah, we, we can't see you. You're just out of frame fiddling with the yeah. cube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, tell me your 10 items. All right. Num and this is, you have to say the rules. This is assuming that people and pets are already included. Correct. So Elizabeth was like, do I include my cats? Because that would be three bullet points. Yeah, I was like, well, if no. I include it, like I could include them collectively as the horde, which would be just be one. Or am I allowed to like count all of them? Anyway, number one on my list, I think will come as no surprise. My heart shaped sunglasses. They are oh, yeah. they are Gotta prescription. So not only can I actually see with them, but they are my entire brand. They're even on my business cards. 
Number two. Wow. My laptop. Uh, I know we counted phones, but I'm counting my laptop separately because I think I would literally die without it. Number three, French fries. The food. Mm -hmm. The one and only. (laughs) Number four, soft cat food. Because I have (laughs) a lot of... I'm counting soft cat food because I can't count my cats. But this is how I get them to my home. This is how I attract them. This is how I'm going to get the other three outside so that my next 10 things list will just be six cats. Soft cat food. Number five. Incredible. Van Halen's entire discography. But if we have to narrow it down, specifically the David Lee Roth era, Van Hagar is fine. It's just not really my vibe. I don't want to listen to love songs. I want to listen to uh, David Lee Roth get drunk and have women. Uh, nice. Incredible. <laughs> number number six, my Steve Madden sandals, the ones that I have left in Indianapolis in my hotel room. You left room. them. I paid $60 to get them back. So, <laughs> Damn. yeah. I'm one of those people who, like, if I get a pair of shoes I like, I will never, ever want another pair of shoes. And they don't make these sandals anymore. That's so I, how I am with my Nike free run. You get it. My, my stepdad's you know? the same way. He's got a pair of shoes he bought in the 1980s that they have discontinued that he only buys on eBay from wholesalers in China. Whoa. Um, yeah. I respect that. Yeah. All right. Number seven, wine. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Should be self-explanatory. Number number eight, okay. a library, because I read approximately five books a, a week. Library. A, a library. library. a whole library. A whole library. Yes. Like, if I had to pick an item, a library card. So I can go to the library, library card. Books. Yes. Okay. Okay. I just need access to things that I can read because that's the only that's the only hobby I have. Number nine, oh, man, the best movie of all time, a classic. Oh, The Crow. <laughs> I've never seen The Crow. Oh, <laughs> it is you a piece of it. high art. It's goth. The soundtrack is fantastic. There's Nine Inch Nails. There's The Cure. What more do you want out of a film? There's a man in makeup and leather. It's everything to me. No joke, Chris Angel stole his whole thing from the crow. He did. Okay, I'm watching it. You gotta do Uh, it. I'm sold. My last item is mascara because otherwise I just look sickly and ill. Okay. Yeah. I think that's good. good. That's a nice list. list. Really good. Okay. Alanis, give us give us the list. Are we ready? I'm prepared. Are we ready? I don't know actually if I'm ready. The entire catalog Mm -hmm. of Yu-Gi-Oh! episodes Mm -hmm. and movies. But if I have to pick uh-oh. One thing from that catalog, I will pick Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions, a movie <laughs> that came out in 2016 and followed up after the end of the original Yu-Gi-Oh! series. It is an incredible movie. It is the best thing I've ever seen. It is such a work of art. I highly recommend it. But if you're going to watch Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions, re-watch Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters season one through five first. Thank you. Five seasons, just got to watch that first before I watch a movie. Yes, because if you watch Dark Side of Dimensions (laughs) without watching the first five seasons, it won't be as emotionally impactful. Whereas if you watch five seasons of Yu-Gi-Oh! and then you watch the Dark Side of Dimensions, you will cry. Nolan's Nolan's fiance has actually seen Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions and says it's quite good. Yeah, that is surprising. I forgot that happened. Uh Yeah, that's that's the thing. Uh, Number two, chapstick. Need chapstick. Number three, chocolate, the greatest food in the world. Mm -hmm. Tied with number four, Bread, the other greatest food in the world. Tied with number five, chilies, the other greatest food (laughs) in the world. Then (laughs) we get to number six, which is everything related to Chris Angel, but specifically tickets to see Chris Angel. Because every time I go to a Chris Angel show, I sit in the front row and I cry. It is like a religious (laughs) experience for me. Number seven, 
specifically a pair of heeled combat boots that I wear. And there is a person on Twitter who every time I wear these heeled combat boots, they say, those combat boots are ugly. And anytime I'm not wearing those combat boots, they say, I'm so glad you're not wearing those combat boots. Man, it would be such a shame for you to be wearing those combat boots since I hate them so much. I Since sure hope I you don't them. post another pic with those combat boots. Otherwise, <laughs> I would be very mad. Sure hope not. Number eight, I have a school photo of my cat, Portia, which I photoshopped her onto one of those like 2000s era school oh backgrounds, like the blue backgrounds with the like varying shades printed it and put it in my wallet. So anytime someone asks me if I have children, I open my wallet and I say, <laughs> yes, here's her school photo. And it's my cat Portia in wow. my wallet. Number nine, I wear hats to every automotive race Specify I go to. Specify the hat, my current Specify the yes. a floppy hat. So it's a big floppy hat, okay? And my current one is a giant striped black and white beach hat. And it actually makes me so easy to find that multiple people sent me photos. They were in the stands at the Indy 500 and I was down in the pits or the garage or wherever. And they sent me photos of myself because the hat is like a giant dart target. So they could see me very, very easily. My final item, this was very hard to choose, but I actually chose a very recent one, which is this photo that Elizabeth took oh, of no. me and Paul Menard <laughs> at Indianapolis Motor Speedway because it's the greatest thing oh. I've ever seen in my life. He was my husband's favorite NASCAR driver. We own three Paul Menard bumpers. And you walk through the doors in my house and you think, huh, Paul Menard's NASCAR bumper could fall on me at any given point. And it's the most beautiful photo I've ever seen in my life. It's a big deal for me. I love it. That's my number 10. Thank you so much. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right, so that was our 10. Make sure you go watch that Logan Sargent video. It's honestly hilarious, and he does a really funny rendition of Lose Yourself. You got to check it out. That's it for the parasocial side of things. Let's talk about this upcoming race. It's time for our track walk. Welcome to the Canadian Grand Prix, everyone. It's Lance Stroll's home race, and I'm so excited. Oh no! The Canadian Grand Prix. Already on land. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a T-shirt for this weekend coming up. I'm gonna be ready. The Canadian Grand Prix took place at a few different circuits during the '60s and '70s, including at Muspark Park and Montremblant Circuit. It eventually settled Ooh. on the Circuit Ile de Notre Dame in 1978. Driver Joe Villeneuve claimed the first win, and the circuit was fittingly renamed in his honor after he died during the 1982 season. The Real cir- quick. Yeah. Crofty loves to say uh, Gilles Villeneuve on the broadcast. <laughs> yes, Listen closely to the Sky Sports. You'll hear him say Villeneuve. There's no R no. in any of his There's name. There's no R in idea. idea. But it's still idea. That's true. Maybe it's a British accent thing. I think. But the way <laughs> the way Liz just said Villeneuve. Gilles Villeneuve, Villeneuve. That's so easy to say. It, it's, it looks like it sounds. <laughs> Or sounds how it looks. Mm-hmm. Let's just go with that, Crofty. That's Thank a great you. idea, Nolan. Thank you. They should hire me nice. for the broadcast. Uh, <laughs> the Jovunov circuit is 2.71 miles long, and it offers quite a few stop-start areas, including a famous hairpin turn in Sector 3. And, of course, the Wall of Champions, the Ooh, final yeah. chicane known for its spectacular crashes from drivers like Damon Hill, Michael Schumacher, and our DRS personal fave, Jensen Button. 
The area surrounding the circuit has some pretty interesting history. Joe Villeneuve is located on a man-made island called Notre Dame Island, and it's set in the middle of the St. Lawrence River. The island was originally created for the 1967 Expo 67 World's Fair and featured one of Buckminster Fuller's first domes, as well as a lagoon in the center. Like, we've got a lot of things to sightsee here. When the Expo ended in 1968, the site hosted a not-so-popular event called Man and His World for several years, until the Olympics came to town for 1976. Roads were built on the island to connect various points, and after the Olympics were over, those roads were converted into a circuit before its first race in 1978. Though the circuit has changed since then to make it safer, it's still an exciting one on the calendar. I really love this track and this race. It's... uh usually pretty exciting um Mm -hmm. and personally like if you've played the f1 games this is one of the most fun tracks i think to drive in the game so i assume it's the same for the drivers as well uh (laughs) very cool track and you know the weather can be unpredictable sometimes as well so maybe we'll get some rain this weekend hopefully yeah I I love this circuit. Um, If you live in America, this is one of the ones that I would highly recommend you go to. Obviously, we've got Coda uh, and we've got the multi-million dollar expenses that are Las Vegas and Miami. But if you want a really fun time, go to Montreal, go to this track. Um, I used to go every year uh, and I, I had a blast. The GA viewing areas are not great, so I highly recommend getting a grandstand. It's worth it. Otherwise, you have to wake up at 5 in the morning and then do a sprint to get your spot at the fence. I was the designated runner multiple years in a row, which I did well with a tummy full of mimosas. Um, (laughs) But, like, it's – Of course. It's so much fun. Like, the vibe of the city is fantastic. Um, It's – it's like, just the whole atmosphere of it is great. And also, as a new Lance Stroll fan – Home race. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Maybe mm. we'll see some a, a good qualifying result for Lance Stroll. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. That's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Donut Racing Show. We'll be back next week to talk about what happened at the Canadian Grand Prix. Did Ooh. a goose attack somebody? I hope We'll just so. have to find Ooh. out. While we wait to uh, find out the fate of the drivers and the geese, make sure to subscribe and tell all of your friends to tune in to the Donut Racing Show. If you want to leave us a five-star and kindly worded review, it really helps us out. And now we also have an email address, donutracingshow at donutmedia.com. Please feel free to reach out to us. It's so fun to hear what you guys have to say. Here's an email we got recently. Dear ladies and soul burner, <laughs> I've, I've noticed that Jos Verstappen has been all of a sudden not present at race weekends. Do you think Red Bull Racing kindly asked him not to attend race weekends based on some negative energy and publicity within the team? Or am I just not noticing his menacing presence? Thoughts? Cheers, Todd A. Johnson. That's a good I question. I haven't even noticed. No, I haven't I would either. say I don't look for Jos Verstappen. Like, if Jos Verstappen, if I know that he's there, it is unwillingly on my part like it's because someone else told me no it's generally when they show him on a broadcast and i'm like oh it's yas but i wonder if someone out there is like you there's 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 those twitter accounts that are like is it the indy 500 yet like there should be one for is yas for stappen at the race then i can just check it and then i can find out there's also, so I would say there's another layer to that, this. If Jos Verstappen is actually not at the race, I would assume it is not because Red Bull 
asked him not to come to a race because I think Max Verstappen owns that team. Yes. I think if Yas Verstappen was not at a race, it would be because of some kind of fatherly I'm disappointed in you thing, <laughs> which is what he always does to poor Max, like when he left him at the gas station. Um, it would definitely be psychological fatherly warfare. Yeah. Maybe the broadcast doesn't want to show him. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good observation because I have not seen him either. Uh, good job. <laughs> I don't know. We will be looking for Yas Verstappen. Everyone else, look for Yas Verstappen. Yas watch. Yas watch. Yas watch. And in the meantime, if you're not familiar with Donut, we have a YouTube channel as well as an automotive history podcast called Pass Gas. I highly recommend you check them out. You can follow DRS on Twitter at Donut Racing Show. You can email us at donutracingshow at donutmedia.com. You can follow Elizabeth at Eliz underscore Blackstock on Twitter and Eliz A. Blackstock on Instagram. You can follow Nolan at Nolan J. Sykes on both. And I am Alanis in middle initial in as in Nicole King on Twitter and Instagram. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.